0: So much, Lord, for the freedom that we have. Lord, forgive me. I know my own heart I sometimes take that for granted. Lord, as we think about what other people are enduring and facing, even on the earth now, people that live in other countries that don't have the freedom that we have, they are still dealing with great oppression from uh, harsh government, Lord, we want to just pause and say thank you, Lord, as we. I've set aside this weekend and called it memorially to remember, Lord, that freedom isn't free. That it costs a lot. And ultimately, Lord, it points us to the great reality that our freedom, from sin, our 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 guarantee of security that we can have eternal life, that is found in You, in a relationship with You, it was not free. It was a gift. But it wasn't free. You paid it all to us. God, help us to never forget that. God, thank you for for living in this country. Lord, we pray a blessing and comfort of our families, God, who are remembering this weekend loved ones that they have lost. Would you comfort them? Would you minister to them? God, we, we just say thank you. Thank you, Lord, to you. Thank you to them. Lord, for what we have because of what they did. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for that. I wanted to pause and do that. We um, have been in the series. If you are visiting with us today, thank you for being here. Thank you for taking time out of your day. We've been in a series called The End of Me. Um, this idea that the kingdom of God, Jesus' teachings when He was ushering them and chaining and was the earth and born in humility and and uh, grew up. And then he started his ministry. He began to teach about the kingdom of God. Most of his teachings, his parables, were terrible for about this kingdom of God that he was ushering in by his coming. Specifically, that he would teach these paradoxes, these absurd-sounding ideas that he would teach, but when you would dig in and investigate a little further, it makes a lot of sense, and, and, and it's to, to save your life you lose your life, stuff like that. Or if you want to be strong, you be weak, right? And and he would say these things, and he would uh, to say to be happy you must mourn, to be you know to be told you must be broken. And what was he saying with all of that? These these kind of paradoxical statements that he would make, these absurd of statements that he would make. But he was revealing his heart, why he came, and his kingdom. And the ultimate idea is that he's trying to bring us to the end of ourselves, so that we can have two lives. That we can live the life that we were meant to live, the destiny, and that the plan, the purpose that God has for us when we come to the end of ourselves, that's ultimately the statement, the end of me, is actually the statement of salvation. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be, belong to Christ and be a Christ follower? Is that I give him control and I say, I'm, I'm, I'm not in the driver's seat anymore. I'm not God of my own life. I recognize Jesus what you've done for me. I definitely need you. I can't live without you. I give you my life, I come to the end of myself so that you can live in and through me. Then, that, that, that is the revelation of Christianity. Until we come to that idea at the end of me, Christianity doesn't make a lot of sense. When we're trying to hang on to parts of our lives and we're trying to in our own morality, try to, you know, gain God's favor, or maybe without God that we're just trying to go through this life to feel better about ourselves, Christianity does not make a lot of sense. And so this idea is the core foundation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what Jesus is ushering in in his teaching in his kingdom. This counterculture, counterintuitive, key to life key verse again, uh, we're we'll going look at Jesus said these words, Luke 9 you'll be very familiar with this. he said to them all, he was saying to the crowd, he said to us, whoever I am a whoever, are you? Whoever, Jesus said, whoever wants to be my follower, my, my disciple in other words, this invitation is to his all, whoever wants to be my disciple so there are invitations to everyone, but there are conditions on being his follower they deny themselves. They come to the end of themselves. They take up the cross daily and they follow me. These three conditions. This is in the key verse. in unpacking this as we've gone further. This is what Jesus said. If you want to be my follower, you can't just be Christian by saying, well, I am a Christian and I live my own life and do whatever I want to do. He said, no, you deny yourself because you the cross and you follow me. And this is a daily walking it out, right? Take said daily. Daily. We have to daily walk this out. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Here's that paradoxical statement. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it or find it. And so today's sermon and next week will give a little continuation is we're going to... We've we heard some the words of Jesus and what he has said. Some of these from the, from the, uh, from the Beatitudes when he was preaching the Son on the Mount. Um, this passage in particular we began with. But we're going to look at Paul. Paul wrote... These letters in the New Testament, you know, Ephesians, Galatians, and he writes to these churches and ultimately to us. And we're going to look at Paul somewhat taking the Baton and, you know, look the other disciples from Christ because Christ gave them as apostles to begin the church. And then we have the Acts where the church is born. But then they took his mission, they took his vision, they took his idea. And Paul, when he would pen these letters to these Gentile churches, these church that he began, and ultimately, again, God's word is to us, you will see that he takes the the baton, the idea, the revelation that Jesus gave him, and he gives it to them and to us. And so we're going to examine, um, today we're going to unpack something that he said, and some of the paradoxes, again, that Paul said to the churches, in line with what Jesus taught. And so the 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 title of today's sermon is To Truly That We Must Be Crucified With Christ. With Christ. To truly that we must be crucified with Christ. Paul's teaching on what it means to, again, what Christ said, lose your life to save it. So here's the passage for today, Galatians 2.20. A lot of you have heard this passage before. But Paul says this, he said, I have been... Crucified because, in other words, again, what did Jesus say? Take it to the cross daily. Follow me. And so Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Isn't that very powerful? Right? Well, we see you. You're breathing. What do you mean by that? I'm crucified I don't. I, I no longer live. But it's Christ that lives in me. But then he says, this, the life I now live in the body. Because he, he doesn't just like become a Christian and then die. Right. That'd be a weird thing, you know, become Christian and immediately just bag it off. He said, No, there's purpose, there's plan, there's intentionality. The life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So, we're going to unpack that a little bit. But what does this mean? How does this apply to us? Can we live this kind of life? Is this just for Paul or is this for all of us? Can we be crucified with Christ? Paul gives this ultimate paradox to live in victory, freedom, and more than conquerors. We can live that life. Those are not just empty promises. Those are not just cool things that we say. Those are not just little things that we put on Facebook because we think it's sounds to. Or tattoo. Don't do that. But if you do, that's a good one. i But, you know, we hear these ideas of living in victory and living in freedom. and more than conquerors. All these biblical ideas. And is it possible? I, I submit to you it is. Not, not to say that we don't have battles that we fight through and things that we walk through. But I don't think we were created just to survive and tread water all of our days. We were created to walk in victory and freedom. What does that mean? Can we live that life? The next week we're going to unpack what Paul says, I nail my passions to the cross. Right? What did he mean by that in Romans? We're going to, just a little teaser for you. We're going to talk about that. I've been crucified. Like how? How do I do that? I daily receive his sacrifice and not rely on my own goodness, my own morality to save me. Say that again. How do I be preached like I daily. That's why Jesus said, you daily take up your cross. We don't, we don't take up his cross. His cross is the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. And again, I think this is where people get, it kind of it the, the waters get muddied a little bit. Because Jesus said take up your cross. Don't take up my cross. You can't take up his cross. He died once and for all. It is finished. He said setting the cross. It is finished, paid in full. You can't continually try to pay for your sins. And I think that's where the waters well, get money I think that's where the enemy lies to us. Is, is we, we, rely, we rely on our own goodness, our own morality, even with a little bit of Jesus on the side, but but then we try to rely on our own strength. And Jesus said, "You know, you take up your cross. So what is your? What is our cross? Our cross is to rely on this cross." And to say, I desperately need Him and I can't rely on my own goodness to my own morality to save me. I admit my own depravity. I don't make justification for it. I admit my brokenness. I realize my need for Him. And I rely on His Holy Spirit every day. So let's look at this. He said, the life that I now live in this body. Let's go back to uh, Galatians 2. I've been crucified with Christ. Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body. And this is again, what he's saying is, he says, I have to, I have to live this out and work this out day by day, right? I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It, this life and I live by the Christ. This is the working it out. I live by faith in Christ day to day. So again, Jesus is taking the cross. How often? Daily. Daily. It's who Jesus is, what he has done, what he will do. It's living for his promises, living for the promise of eternity, living for what he said and believing him to be true. Who I am in Christ, that I am new, I am redeemed, I am justified, I am forgiven, I am clean, and I am victorious because of him. that's the victory that we walk in. And we have to remind ourselves daily. And here's the key passage. So let's go let's go back again. He says, I live by faith in the Son of God. What? He says, he loved me and gave himself up to me. What did Jesus say? Greater love has no one in this than a person who would lay his life after his strength. Paul got this revelation. He said, Here, Here's how I do all that. I'm crucified with Christ. Can I really do that? Yes. Here's the revelation. He said, it's faith in the Son of God, what? He loved me. It's faith in that He died for me. He loved me that much that He gave His life to me. If you've ever seen interviews or or, 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 you know, like, heard war type stories when someone has laid their life it doesn't even have to be war, but it could be anything where someone lays their life down for someone else. They step in and they lay their life down. They step in front of, if you will. You know, we hear those stories of courage and bravery. Somebody throws himself up on a grenade to save their friends and make themselves die. And it's this idea where, um, you, know, post, um, you know, post-death, post we say that they, they, they went above and beyond call of duty, right? And again, this is not just war time. anyone that would step in the way and say, I'm willing to die, and they just react. Well, if you hear the people that they did that for, there is, there's what? There's, a, there's an amazing profound sense of humility, isn't there? An amazing profound sense of gratitude. And say, you know, you will know, hear people say again, you know, we owe everything to Christ, but they say, you know, I owe my life to this person. They, they died for me and, and and, and there are people that that, 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 are wrestling with this, but you know, all their days, they are incredibly affected by what was done to them. If you've ever heard them talk to with tears saying, you know, they just did this and I am indebted to them in some way. And they will never ever forget it. And Memorial Day for those people is very weighty to think that someone, I was going to die and someone died for me. Paul got that kind of revelation, we you every day remind yourself that's what Jesus did for you. I think that we overcomplicate this idea of Christianity, and people, you know, you know, get angry or whatever, you know, at the idea of Christianity or hypocrisy and the different reasons why we reject Christian people reject Christianity. Is we overcomplicate this thing that Paul thinks if you get this revelation every day and you wake up and you go, Jesus died for you. For real. Faith in something I really believe in. That's what faith is—more than just belief. It's 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 belief to the point that it affects how I live. And for real, Jesus died in my place eternally. That way, when I give my life to him, one day when I close my eyes in death, I get to stand before him, and not in my own righteousness, but his righteousness, because he died on the cross for me, in my place, paid for my sin, and I get to inherit all of eternity and all that comes with the rewards world of eternity because of him. And Paul said, that's real. That's not a fantasy. That's not a fairy tale. That is real. Do you believe that? How do you live your life that you believe that?" live my life in faith in some God who loves me and gave Himself up for me. It's the greatest, I I believe, perhaps the greatest key in our walk with the Lord that we never forget that, 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 that this whole thing is relational. The value of who He is, what He's done, that it was out of love, and so, you know, when, when you think about somebody in, in the physical sense, buying with someone like that, and you think of your faith now, what is His faith worth to you? What is Christ worth to you? Does He have worth? Because our worship is more than our song. Our worship is born out of His worth to us. So if I pick and choose how I worship God and I can only worship Him in certain settings and do this, His worth has been brought in. What's He worth to you? Has He turned into a moral policeman in your life? Because for a lot of people, He has. If you grew up like me, there's a lot of legalism and it's all about these harsh rules. And if He's become a moral policeman in your life, or if his standards feel suffocating instead of freeing, you get weary. And so Paul is reminding us here, don't forget what he did and why he did it. I can be crucified with Christ because of what he did and why he did it. He did it because he loved me intensely. Yes, he has standards, but ultimately it's for my freedom and for my best. And yes, he see. I see through the eyes of love that He has best for me. And because He loves me, I want to say no to sin and yes to Him. So again, as we go forward, can we be crucified with Christ? Is this idea just kind of fall out there? Is this something that Paul said and this is kind of one of those ideas where we put it as a scripture on our fridge and we go, you know, I really don't know how to live that out. We can live that out because the request has done for us. The enemy will fight that revelation about his love for you. He will fight you over and over. And you have to daily remind yourself that he went to the cross do he for you. And so when we get this revelation on a continual basis, we desire more than anything that Jesus would live in us and through us in every area. Not just parts of our lives, right? And so when we hang on to parts and try to maintain ownership, it leads to constant frustration. And so then, when you get that idea that Jesus loves me and he, what He did for me was out of love, then it's, I can't help but go all in. I am crucified with Christ. That's an all-in commitment, right? What Paul is saying? The idea of crucifixion, that's why Paul used the idea Jesus that crucifixion was a, was a brutal Roman torture idea of crucifixion. They would do this to people. Um, Jesus, again, was before he was hung and the cross and, 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 and uh, crucified. They, they beat him with, with incredible wits and his back up. And, and, but the, the idea is if, if you were just crucified, at some point you're hanging there so long that you would beg to die. And that was the idea. They, they, they were masters of torture. And so Paul, he says, I'm crucified with Christ. I, 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 you, don't, you don't just get partly crucified. It's all in. It's an all-in commitment. I'm crucified with Christ. I'm responding to Christ. I'm going all in. Because what He did was Jesus went all in for me. He went all in on the cross for me. And so Paul's paradoxes. we're going to look at a few of these. Carrying on Jesus' vision and mission and message to the church. How does it play out day to day as a follower of Jesus? If He's living through us, then we see His life and His example play out. So, number one, when I'm crucified with Christ, I and exalted with humility. It's one of the Things that the, the apostles taught us—that we are exalted from humanity does not that sound paradoxical? If you're exhausted. You can, you're exhausted. I exalt myself. I'm, I promote myself. And, and, uh, and, I, and I, I want everyone to exalt me and, and lift me up. And uh, that's one of the dangers of, of, of people that are in you know, the spotlight, you know, movie stars and, and, and singers and, and you know, people that we can kind of put up on pedestals. And you watch concerts. Isn't it amazing that uh, of, the, of the reverence that we tend to give people? If you ever look at a rock concert or video of a rock concert, it's worship, isn't it? If you see, you know, whoever it would be, and and you see a row of girls in the front and they're crying and they're passing out, and this is an act of worship. And people weren't intended to be worshiped, exalted. That's why these people live such empty lives is because you you were made to be worshipped and exalted. And, and the kingdom of God is, if you want to be exalted, you're exalted to your humility by the example of Christ. James says this, but he gives us more grace. That is why, this God opposes the crowd. You know what the word there is? Opposed? He fights against. You and God in a cage match if you're a full crowd. He wins, if you're wondering. If he wins every time, you will tap out, for sure. You won't even be able to tap out, you'll be gone. He fights against the problem. James is saying that God opposes himself and he brings favor to the humble. And he says, Submit yourself into God resist the devil and he will flee from you. Again, we can just say, well, you just, hey, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Isn't that a great passage? But it begins in a place of humility. A lot of times we, we just grab one passage of Scripture and we make kind of doctrines out of it or encourage people with it. And it says, no, if you're walking in pride, you can't just do this the devil because why is James tying them together? That the devil was the ultimate one that was filled with pride. He wanted to overcome. He wanted God's worship. He wanted to be in the place of God. Well, that's that can be awesome. We're full pride. And so you can't just, if you're you're full of pride, you can't just resist the enemy because we are walking in the things that the enemy walks in. Submit yourself to God and resist the devil who is taking you. Verse 8, come near to God and watch. He will come near to you, Wash your hands, you sinners. And again, this is tied to pride, saying, God forgive me for exalting myself, for desiring. Exaltation, purify sure, the heart you double-minded, grieve more and well, choose your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And I know that that sounds like a really happy passage, doesn't it? Nobody's getting that tattoo tattooed on. Unless you're just a fatalistic person, you know, turning into gloom, you know, um, with a skull. You know, um, I don't know why I'm on tattoos today. I don't have one, by the way. You know, some people talk about it a lot. I realize you're trying to, you know, feel better about having one. Yeah, I want to be blessed. I'm not telling you not to. Perform. I just wouldn't recommend it. But what does he say here? He doesn't say that we have to live this life walking around in utter gloom. He said when we recognize pride, when you recognize that ugliness that can be in all of us, right? That's why we daily have to realize our need of Christ. There's actually a beautiful thing because he's saying, come near to God and God will come near to you. There's a beautiful exchange in saying, didn't you recognize that I am, I am? My sin is ugly. My pride is ugly. I've become God of my own life. And it says, you know what? God draws you near to Himself. Now, he doesn't push you away, but you recognize, and then He pulls you to Himself. In verse 10, then you humble yourself before, before the Lord? And then what? He exalts you. Isn't that beautiful? What an exchange. That's what it means to lift you up. He exalts you. He doesn't worship you. Don't get that. He brings you to a place, now you have, you've exchanged the heart of the enemy of Christ and you've taken on the heart of God in humility and He brings you He lifts you up to himself. I want that part, if you were wondering. And so we're exalted to humility. God has never been pleased with a proud, boastful, Overconfidence here against Satan is the ultimate example of this. Look at Philippians two, what Paul says that he's familiar with this, says, in your relationships with one another. What did he say? Have the same minds have the same paradox as Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, so here's God in the flesh. to comes; he did not consider equality with God something that he used to his own advantage. Right? He didn't, he didn't beam down in a white robe and would come and say, here I am. He was born in a stable as a baby in hiddenness and humility. Rather, He made Himself nothing. Get that. He made Himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness so he says, when you relate, when you're walking with people, don't do what the world is promote yourself. It's all about you and you're me-centered and you're constantly pushing yourself more. He says, have the same attitude, the paradoxical mindset of Christ who was God Himself that came as a servant. Verse 8. And being found in the parents of the man who humbled himself by being obedient to death and death death on a cross, he laid his life down. Therefore, God exalted him. You see that? God exalts those who humble himself. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, he should bow, in heaven and earth and under the earth. Every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ, the is the glory of God, the Father. We're all going to acknowledge him whether we do that here voluntarily or we'll do it on judgment day and we'll stand before him. But every knee will bow doesn't matter how arrogant. Doesn't matter how many people push God, the idea of God. They will, they will acknowledge that He is the Lord. This so this idea seems counterintuitive, you know. To make the greatest impact, you become nothing. I so, said, so Jesus became nothing. He poured out Himself. But did He make the greatest impact? The answer is yes. <laughs> and I said this before: the greatest defeat turned into the greatest victory. The cross. His instrument of torture, device of shame, of cursing became our symbol of freedom. And when we put the cross up, or we see a cross. It's a symbol not a shame and it's a symbol of freedom. Nobody in that day would ever associate the cross with freedom, but it became our freedom. And so then, to make the greatest impact, we become nothing we serve. We see Jesus as He washes feet, He lays down His life for others, and then. God sees that. He sees his humility. And he sees the motives of why we do what we do. And then he exalts that when we have the right motives. Because he said, they're like my son. And He will oppose the proud. He fights against the proud. And so in our humility, we will build Christ. Isn't that beautiful? When we walk, when you serve. If you serve someone or if you... You know, if you have events of children, you doesn't have to be events. It can be a day to day. When you serve your spouse, when you serve your children, when you serve someone, and it goes against, and it's counterintuitive, it goes against your pulse. I feel it, sir. But you do it. And you feel trust to a world of that we need Number two, when I'm crucified with Christ, I receive forgiveness. Right? That's counterintuitive, right? It's, it's a paradox. I receive through most of us know this. How many of you, what you've given a significant gift on someone, you know, you surprise them, and you feel amazingly good about their response? Anybody, anybody ever done that? Isn't it a great feeling? Especially when you surprise them and they don't know that it's coming. And, and you know, if you give something of worth away, that you understand the cost that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. We, I, I, I love to give gifts to my children and, and we, when we can do it. I love to surprise. And, and there is something that just seems to respond and just touches your heart because we're hardwired in the image of God to do it. Now, don't get me wrong, we love to receive gifts too. But we serve a God who's a giver of good gifts. And the ultimate gift is salvation, but it says that, we, that, that He is the giver of good gifts to His children. And then he invites us into this idea of giving. Look at Acts 20. Paul says this, and everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul's working hard. They're giving. They're pouring out. One, one pastor where he says, I'm pouring out. like have a drink He's giving of his time, his resources to the kingdom of God. And he's like, it's kind of this mindset. I don't want to... I don't want to take anything with me. I want to give it all for the glory of, uh, of God. And because he, because Christ lived in Paul, he lived to be generous and to give. It was a missional mindset. I give to help the weak. Did you hear what he said? It's the loss, the hurting. When we give in the church, and we give, and we take up this offering. If you aren't familiar with that, they just helps us to do what we what we need to do. It helps us to carry on the vision and the mission. You know, if everyone, if everyone just stopped giving me, we would get to just shut the church down and close the doors and we would be done. And so it's the generosity of God's people saying that I live for more something bigger than myself I'm living for the kingdom of God, and so I'm generous. And it's not just our money, it's our time. It's our talent that God has blessed us with. I mean, give. We are blessed to be a blessing. We understand that it's all God's. Nothing is ours. It's his stuff. It's for us to manage, and that's kind of the ultimate test of love for God. Is it giving of our time and talents, our money? And it's giving is foolish. To, I mean, it's to selfish people because the world philosophy is living in fear, right? Because we're so controlled by money. It, it, it's save, work, work, earn all you get, get rich, keep, withhold, hoard. I'm not saying it's wrong to save. Please, do not in your own. Dave Ramsey will be mad at me if I We need to save. We need to be wise with our money. We shouldn't just be like spending money we don't have and you know and, and, and going in debt and stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this idea now. I'm not saying it's wrong to pass an inheritance to your children. That's all good, and, 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 and you should do that. But this is this idea of saying I also want to give to God. I want to give to Him because I want to see lives change. And when I give, ministry happens and I give up my time, again, and my resources, and my talents. Some of the most miserable people on the earth, they have a whole lot, right? And they give very little. I've known some. Some of the happiest people in the world, they give much. Because they manifest the heart of Jesus in unselfishness. Again, we see the example of Christ who gave Himself for us. That's So, right, Paul, Galatians 2.20, He loved us and gave Himself. What a gift. For Christians, I give you me. You get Christ in self. You get salvation. You don't have to pay for your own sins that you die on the cross. The gift of salvation. does that worth? What is that worth to us? He model giving. And so it is greater. It's a greater blessing to give because of Christ's example, because of His love. And we reveal We revealed Christ. We're crucified with Him and He live lived through us. We revealed Him when we're generous. When we're generous and we say, God, none of it's mine either, I recognize that it it's yours and I just want to be generous. And I'll ask him to say, it's to a more pick up a few more next week. When i keep trying to qualify and free through being a slave. Now that doesn't sound right at all, does it? To be free, you be a slave. Doesn't, that's a a parallel. Romans 6, 18, Paul says, if you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to what? Righteousness. What is Paul saying here? If he's given this analogy of slavery and imprisonment. we see it all through the New Testament. Because sometimes people think that they're and since they may be outside of a literal prison cell. But the truth is that there are other forms of imprisonment and bondage that are spiritual. They're moral in nature. People are enslaved by fear, doubt, hatred, addictions, vices, sinfulness, money, love, and they're chained. you'll see this idea what Paul is saying is you've been set free from sin. You know, you are not have to be a slave to that. Next that's we're going to unpack he says you could nail those passages to the cross and actually walk in freedom from those things. Then he says, well, we become slaves to life, so we become slaves to Christ. And so you what Paul would say. You're going to be a slave to something. Everyone's a slave to something. You are a slave to something today. God bless you. No tattoos on that one. We're all, we're slaves to something. Something controls us. Something motivates us. Something, when we go through the day, and it might be worry, it might be fear, it might be whatever, something drives you. There's a driving force in all of our lives. Or a force is. And Paul, what Paul's saying is, we're a slave to something. And he's saying, I want you to be a slave to Christ and His righteousness, because being a slave to Christ and His righteousness is the ultimate freedom. The idea of being yoked to Christ, right? Yoked to Christ. That idea of the oxen. Remember, you know, you're being yoked. What are you connected to? Back when they would do farming with those oxen, they would put a yoke on them. That's why Paul and Galatians talk about the yoke of bondage. And they would, the way they would train young oxen. These big, is they would yoke them to a older, wiser, one that knows the routine, right? And this, for a while, this young one, he's, a, he's stronger, but he has more direction and he's pulling, and then the old one is just crawling along and going. And it's just, after a while, the young one would fall in line and learn that pattern. And, learn. and that's why they would yoke the young one to the older one, the more mature one. And so this analogy of what are you yoked to? If you're yoked to sin, it will you will fall in line to sin. You will be yoked to it. If you're yoked to Christ, you leave him. You walk in the purpose and the destiny that he has for you. But we're slaves to something. Here's what Jesus says in John to the Jews who have believed him. Jesus said, "If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples." Here's the condition again, right? Do you catch that? you hold to my teaching and you really are my disciples, then you will what? Know the truth and what? The truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. They've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we'll be set free? Verse 34, Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You're to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. it's and relational love because the sons and daughters. And we belong to Christ. So, if the Son sets you free, you will be what? Free indeed. Not just kind of free, but you can walk in freedom because of the Son. And, 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 and just to let you know, when Jesus says you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, Jesus is the truth. He calls himself the truth. That's why in today's culture, you know, the idea of truth is kind of thrown into this idea of, of gray area. R- can we really know truth? And the philosophers of our day want to debate what truth is. And said, the said, truth is a person, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I speak truth. He said, I testify of truth. If you follow my teachings, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In other words, me, myself, Truth is not up for debate. Truth is not what we decide. Truth is not what someone else calls it or doesn't call it. Truth has already been established. It is absolute and it is Jesus Christ. It's not just one of, he's not just one of many truths. It doesn't matter what the world says. He is the ultimate truth. And so you don't get to decide it. It's already been decided. And so we are crucified with Christ daily. And we can walk in His life and have His life live in me. And in this body that I live, I can be free through being a slave. I can be generous, and I can be a, a giver. I can, be, I can receive much given and I can be exalted through humility as I walk with the Lord. I want to be crucified with us, and we can be crucified with Christ with sin. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. God, Say that each one of us would realize our desperate need of you or you that you are the truth, that you declare the truth. You embody the truth. And Jesus, your words, your own words. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Lord, it sounds incredibly narrow-minded because it is. And you said it. It's not my words, it's your words. And you said that you made a way through the cross. that there were many other ways, that there were many other things through You we wouldn't have died on the cross. But Lord, thank you that you come to set us free. That, Lord, that we can, like Paul said, it doesn't, it's not just a verse that we think is cool, but we can be crucified with Christ and we can live as you want us to live. In this life, this body that we live in now, we can walk in freedom. We can walk in humility. We can walk as givers to reveal Christ to our world. God, help us to, again, Lord, walk it out every day that we need you every day. We can't do it without you. We're morally bankrupt without you. And tomorrow, Jesus, I'm going to need you again. And the next day, I'm going to need you again. And the next day, I'm going to need you again. God, help us to never forget That what you did and why you did it was all direct for us to call us sons and daughters. Pray for that revelation in our hearts today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a fantastic day and a fantastic week.